This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. We continue today in our series, Unforgettable. We talk about such meaningful verses and passages from Scripture that have significantly impacted our lives. Over the past few weeks, I'm so grateful for our ministry staff and preaching uh, and talking about their experiences with God's Word and how the Word of God has carried them through and, and really uh, encouraged them and guided them in life. We've heard from our, some of our elders in those videos and interviews as, and their experiences with the Word of God as well. And it's, it's such a, a positive experience not only to, to see our elders, but to hear about their spiritual lives as well. It's a, a great opportunity for us. And so we continue for the next couple of weeks, and I get to share with you some sermons about very meaningful passages uh, from Scripture that have, have carried a special place in my life and in my heart. I have to be honest, though. Choosing Scripture for this is difficult for me. When, when people ask me, what, what's your favorite Bible verse? I struggle to, to answer them. Uh, a few years ago when uh, the life verse fad was, was around, people were talking about their life verse, the, the little piece of scripture that, that is the overarching uh, rule of their life. I, I didn't really engage with that very well because I, I have a hard time narrowing down <laughs> scripture to just one, one statement or one phrase. And, and I'm glad that I have a couple of weeks to share with you because I have a, a variety of scriptures that have, have ministered to me, have, have encouraged me, that have, have benefited me at, at different points in my life. And, I, and I'm glad for that. I, I grew up in the church. My father was a minister when I was a child. There, there's not a point in my life that I can remember not having God's word as a significant part of my life. And so what I, what I hope to do through these sermons is to highlight some very meaningful things in scripture but to also recognize that the value of those passages is enhanced, not only by their place in Scripture, but by all the other things in Scripture that support them as well, that add depth of meaning to them as they, they point our attention to appropriate thinking and appropriate action, not just from uh, a, a small sentence or phrase. So to begin, I'm going to, to tell you a, a, one of the phrases in Scripture that is meaningful to me and then, and then walk through the the other pieces of scripture that support it and, and add meaning to it. So the, the, the phrase I want to talk to you about comes from the 46th Psalm. It says this, be still and know that I am God. That has been a very significant phrase from scripture in my life that has taught me about what my relationship with God should look like and also helped me to understand how to grow in my faith. It has carried me through some very difficult times, and it continues to do that. I want to share with you a story of one of those difficult times in my life, in the life of my family, and, and how that, that phrase is, has really carried us. This is a story that I have shared before. Some of you know it. Others of you have not yet heard it. If you've heard it before, I apologize, but it, it really is a very uh, meaningful illustration of of where we were in life. So when we, when we first arrived here in Finley, when we, were, uh, when we accepted the job to be the youth minister, it was 2010 in January. And we were moving from Kentucky. 
we uh, lived there, had a house there we were paying a mortgage on. I was the youth minister at a church down there. And we, we loved our house down there. And in the process of moving, we had difficulty selling that house. It was uh, a year and a half before we were able to sell that house in Kentucky. And so when we accepted the position here, we accepted the position with this little bit of tension, not knowing where we were going to live or how we were going to pay for a place to live because we were paying a monthly mortgage on the house there in Kentucky. And so the leadership here started uh, looking around, trying to help us find a place so that we could engage in ministry immediately and not have those other worries around us. And they started making some calls and asking some questions. And one, one phone call in particular uh, really started this journey off for us. Our children's minister, Jonah, called a, a couple who were part of the church at that time, uh, Raleigh and Carol Ann Rittner. Now, they were retired, living here in Finley, but they also had a place in Florida, and they winter in Florida and then come back to Finley for the warmer months. And when we arrived, they were already in Florida. And Jonah called them to say, hey, we know that you're, you're in Florida right now and your house in Finley is empty. We, ha- we hired a new youth minister. You've never met him. You don't know his family. But would you mind if they stayed in your house while you're in Florida? <laughs> and without hesitation, they said yes. Now, it was me and Becca, my wife. Corbin was just born in March uh, the year before. Caleb was two. And the, the Ritters had no idea who we were. I got a phone call from them, and we, we introduced ourselves. We talked a little bit. They were so, so gracious, so hospitable, so, so welcoming to us as we were moving into town. And provided in a way that we would never have expected someone to, caring for us when we, we, we were really going to struggle. And we knew that the arrangement living in their home was temporary. They were returning in March or April and that we were, we were going to have to find a more permanent arrangement at that time. And, and during those months, a lady came and visited the church to say hi to, to me. Uh, it was a, a woman that I knew. She actually was one of my high school teachers in Chillicothe, the place where I grew up. A friend of our family, a good friend of my mother. And she, after I graduated high school, moved to Finley and worked in the school system here. And when we moved to town, she found out that we were here and came by to, to catch up and say hello. And as we were talking, she found out about our situation. And then she told us about her situation. Her mother still lived back in Chillicothe. Her mother was elderly and ill, and she was planning on moving back to Chillicothe to care for her mother, to move into her mother's place, which meant the house that she had here in Finley was going to be vacant for a little while. And she invited us to move into her empty house because we were in the same situation without anywhere to go. And we moved from the Rittner's house into her house down by the hospital and were provided for again. Now, while we, were, while we were living there during that summer, our house in Kentucky, we heard word from friends that something was wrong with the house. They'd gone through, uh, there was a, a smell they weren't sure about, called to let us know. What happened was there was a, a, a finished basement, master bedroom down there, nice bathroom, a little living room, and there was an outdoor stairwell that went down with a drain at the bottom of it. And a horrible thunder, thunderstorm came through. That drain blocked up and water filled the basement. And because no one was there, remained in the basement for an unknown amount of time. I went down on a couple of weekends, ripped up all the carpeting, put down tile, and 
realized there were, there were things that were just absolutely destroyed. The drywall, the, the bed, the couch, like molded, horribly destroyed. And a group of, of people from Parkview made a decision to come down to Kentucky with me for a few days. And we spent a few nights and worked on that house, tearing out drywall from two feet down, replacing it, painting, doing some plumbing, making the house sellable again. And through their generosity, through their kindness, we were able to make a good presentation of the house and, and restore the things that had been damaged because of all that water. Now we get through that time in, in the house down by the hospital, and it's getting close to the end of the year, getting close to November, December. And my teacher called me back from uh, my hometown and said she was ready to, to move permanently to Chillicothe, was going to be um, making different arrangements for the house. We were going to have to find somewhere else to live. And so we, we came close to that next, that next transition, wondering what was going to happen thinking about what we would do next and, and thinking about the, the calls we would have to make and, and how we were going to find arrangements. And uh, I made a, a difficult decision to call the Rittners again, knowing that they were going back to Florida and that we were still paying for an empty house in Kentucky. Um, just asked, would it be possible for us to move back into the same arrangement we had before? And they, they were so graciously willing to allow us to stay in their home again. What we found out in the meantime was that our, our house in Kentucky was listed in the wrong zip code. And we had been waiting and waiting to sell our house, having very few people visit to look at it because they didn't know where it was. And so we resolved that issue with our realtor, got everything organized and, and settled, and had, had confidence that things were going to begin moving quickly. And so when it was time for us to move out of the Rittner's house again, we decided uh, to, to start renting here, hoping that it would only be a short time that we would be making two payments. And uh, one of our elders connected us with a, a lady in town who has some rental property, and we, we rented a house on Woodley Avenue down on South Main, off of South Main. Nice little place. And while we were living there, we finally sold our house. And a group from Parkview went with us to load up a, a U-Haul to bring all of our stuff up from Kentucky because we had been living transitionally out of boxes and suitcases and, you know, with all the, the things that are necessary for toddlers, like high chairs and pack and plays, and, and just making do with, with necessities. So we finally got all of our stuff and we, we packed the garage at that little rental house, just boxes as, as high as we could get them, and waited because it was stuff that we would need when we moved into a house, but we didn't need while we were renting it, but it was at least with us and things were progressing. And so we, we got close to the end of that lease, and we were making decisions about what we would do and starting to get excited about looking for an actual house that we could buy here in Finley that our, now that our house was selling in Kentucky, thinking about neighborhoods and price ranges and all the fun stuff that goes with house shopping. And before we could really get into that fun, I got a phone call from Raleigh Rittner. And he and Carol Ann were making a difficult decision to move to Florida permanently and they were going to sell their house. And he wanted to know if we would be interested in buying it. The house that we already knew, that we had already lived in twice, was available to us. And we made arrangements, we closed on that house, and it's the house that we still live in today. In the course of two years, we changed the place where we were living five times. 
and in, including the times that we just moved stuff, there were seven moves altogether. It was a very stressful time. It was a time of growth for us as a family and a time where we truly learned to trust God. And a time where this, this phrase, be still and know that I am God, was significantly meaningful to us as a family. God opened up door after door at just the right time and provided a place for us to stay. He taught us what it meant to be cared for by his people. Now, that in and of itself was very uncomfortable, a very difficult thing for me to accept help from others, to be cared for, to be in a place where I had to ask for help. I don't like to do that. I like to have things under control. I like to be the one providing for my family. And that, that, was, that was hard for me. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't a good process for me to go through. It wasn't a healthy thing for me to go through because it was. We learned a lot about what it meant to truly surrender those worries and those struggles and, and to trust God. Now, sure, there were times where we worried. There were, there were times where we were stressed out, full of anxiety, especially in those, those times right before transition where we knew we were going to have to find a place to live, but we didn't have any real prospects. We had to make phone calls and applications. And, and that was always a tense time. But after the second or third one, we recognized how God had, had cared for us, how he had worked out things and delivered people in our path who were willing to, to help in a very difficult time. And we knew based on that that God would continue to act in the way that he had, that we could trust him. And that even though there were some things in our, in our area of control that we needed to take care of, the things that were outside of our control, we, we truly began to surrender those to God and allowed his peace to fill our lives. And we were able to be at rest and just trust that he is God. That's the example we have in Scripture about the way God works in the lives of his people. You look through the Old Testament, you read about the people of Israel, and, and their manner of speaking about God, the way that they describe their relationship with the Lord. And, and that's a consistent theme throughout, that they, they look back to the way God displayed his power and delivered their ancestors time and time again, caring for them protecting them, providing for them, delivering them out of captivity and slavery, caring for them. And they look back to God's action on their behalf historically. And that, that gave them confidence to trust God's promises for what he was doing in their lives and would continue to do in the future. And they praised God because of that confidence. They praised God and were able to, to proclaim his name in the world around them because of the way that he had been working in their lives. That's where we find this verse in Psalm 46. The people of Israel who were in the middle of a war and had been delivered by God. God handed them victory. And the sons of Korah wrote this psalm to praise God for what he was doing. Here's what the rest of the psalm says, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. 
God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But he lifts his voice and the earth melts. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Notice the, the celebration of God's people, honoring God for the victory, for the resolution of the conflict, specifically they were dealing with in the war, but, but not only that, the recognition of God's sovereign power to resolve conflict, to put an end, to bring peace, to resolve that tension when difficulty comes. What I've found to be true is that difficult times provide opportunities for us to trust God when we face difficulty. It becomes for us an incredible opportunity to step forward in trust, to learn what that trust looks like, and to see how faithful God is, to be still and know that he is God. And we all get to share in that experience. We all face difficulty. We have all faced huge, major difficulty. We have all dealt with small bits of difficulty. And each and every one of those is an opportunity for us to trust God. It's a decision that we make when we face that difficulty. A decision that is based on our knowledge of who God is and the way that he has been working as we remember how God has been faithful in our lives, how God has proven himself trustworthy, how he's cared for us. And as we remember that, we think about what he will do here and now and what he will continue to do in the future. That decision is based on our knowledge of God that we find through scripture as we read about how God has been working through history to bring about good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose, bring about salvation for all people who who believe in Jesus, be baptized in his name, the way God is working for us and has been working for us to bring about salvation through Jesus Christ. And it provides us confidence to step forward and trust when we are faced with the most difficult moments of life. The decision we make is more than just one small decision. Difficult times don't usually describe a moment. They describe a season, a situation, a relationship. They describe things that remain in our lives that have to be addressed on an ongoing basis. And while I may choose right now to trust God, I have to continue choosing to trust God. I have to remain in that state of trust so that I can submit myself to the Lord and see him work through that difficulty. And the next thing I've found is that in those times of difficulty, I'm reminded that I need to turn to the Lord first. 
that I need to be still and know that he is God before, before anything else. And that's not easy. It's not easy to, to recognize the, the need I have to be still in the presence of God when things aren't difficult. It's not easy to, to be still and allow God to prove himself when, when there are so many other things in life that are interrupting that stillness, that are threatening that peace, that are agitating the calm. that are pushing my blood pressure to new heights. One of the things that disrupts my ability to be still is the idea of control, especially when I think of all the things that, that I can do to help resolve the difficulty that I feel like I should be doing right now. I have trouble being still and surrendering things to the Lord because I want to work. But what I've found that be most effective is if I can turn to the Lord first before I even think about what I should be doing or not doing and submit myself, submit the situation, submit everything to him in prayer. You notice in the course of events when we moved to, to Finley, we didn't just pray and sit idly by and passively wait for God to take care of all the details. No, we were actively engaged in the process. We made phone calls, we filled out applications, but when our contribution is done, we learned to give God our worries over those things, to give God our anxiety, our struggles, and let him have those and, and not try and take them back. And that's a difficult thing to do in those times of waiting because that's when our trust is truly tested by our idea of control. Another thing that, that disrupts my ability to be still is the, uh, the, the pressure of, of life, of things that need done all the time, a to-do list waiting for me to, to, to accomplish within a certain amount of time, the, the responsibility I have toward other people, the expectation that I feel from other people about who I am and the things that I will do. And, and all of that pressure leaves me with a feeling that I need to, to complete everything that would be considered a part of my responsibility, especially in terms of the difficulty that I'm facing, before I turn to the Lord, to, to give God the completed project and say, Here, here's what I did, God. Now can you carry the rest of the way through? But what I need to do is, is to, to stop before I even start working and surrender myself to the Lord and trust his presence as I move through the process of difficulty and, and see how he carries me through those moments, see how he works out those details and see how much more effective I am when I'm supplied his strength and how much better things go when I trust him instead of trusting myself. I also have trouble being still before the Lord when I'm overwhelmed with helplessness. Now, I don't like to say I'm a helpless person. I don't feel like I am. I feel helpless when the people I care about face difficulty and I can't do anything about it. When my wife is facing difficulty and I'm there for her, but there's nothing I can do to help resolve the issue. When my kids are facing difficulty and it hurts me, 
but I realize there's nothing I can do other than to support them and to encourage them and give them advice. They, it's, a, it's a difficulty that they're facing, and I feel helpless in those moments, and I feel the opposite of still. I feel like my life is disrupted. I feel the stress and the pressure of those moments. It's a, it's a, a, a helpless feeling, and it's overwhelming. It's frustrating, but again, it's a perfect opportunity to let go of that idea of control to hand those things to the Lord, to surrender them, and to trust that once I give them, I don't need to try and take them back. I don't need to worry about them. I don't need to keep stressing out over them. I don't need to let anxiety rule my life. I can give them and trust that God will take them. Sometimes the thing that keeps me from being still before the Lord is a dependence on chaos and noise. I don't know if you've noticed how dependent we've become on distraction. When we face stress, when we face difficulty, sometimes we need to just binge watch a program so that we can forget the difficulty of a day, be distracted from our stress, let go of our worries. We need the constant sound of music or a TV on in the background to keep us from the solitude of our own thoughts. We choose to be constantly busy with a screen so we never have to dwell in the reality of the situation that we're in. While we're using all of these distractions, we are actively keeping ourselves from being still in the presence of God. Another Another area that, that it makes stillness a difficulty is relationships. And relationships are both a source of peace and a source of difficulty. And we grow and thrive through healthy relationships. We, we become whole through the insight and support that we find in godly people, whether they're friends, spouses, parents, siblings, mentors, or members of the body of Christ. It's in our relationships that we grow significantly. But it's also in relationships that we find a significant amount of conflict. That's because we're not perfect. Not one of us is perfect. And we're made painfully aware of that when we invest in relationships, when we open ourselves up to other people, when we make ourselves vulnerable to other people. We give them access to us, to our hearts, to our minds, to our true self. And with that access comes risk. When I think back over my life, some of the most difficult times that I've faced were because of other people that I was in relationship with, other people who were part of a church with me, other people who were a part of my life, people that I trusted, people that I cared about. And I want to say that I was hurt by those people. They, they did me wrong. But to be really honest, in that relationship, I was a contributing part of the conflict that arose. I can't say, I can't point the finger of blame and say I'm a victim because that's not true. But that doesn't mean I wasn't hurt. It doesn't mean I didn't end up wounded through that process. When we experience pain, especially at the hands of another person, when we feel like we've been wronged or wounded by someone that we care about, the natural response we have is payback. It's a reflexive reaction for us to want to take revenge, to retaliate, to get back at those who have done us wrong. Now, this is born out of our sense of justice and equity 
when we are wronged, we feel the need to inflict that same wrong on other people to balance the scales. And while we want to justify our reaction that way, we know that any action we take, any response that we take, will be a destructive force in our lives. Instead of providing peace, it will build anger, spite, and sadness in us. It'll drive us to view others as deserving of our wrath. Even if we're able to give that other person what they deserve, what we'll find is that instead of feeling the wholeness of equal treatment, we'll actually feel the emptiness that comes as we're slowly destroyed by that. We'll be tormented by our own actions in that relationship consumed by unforgiveness and the weight of the grudges that we hold on to. We were never meant to be the ones to right the wrongs that other people inflict on us. But this idea of revenge isn't, isn't new to us. It isn't new in the world today. It has been present throughout history. In fact, even in the New Testament, Paul wrote specifically about this idea in Romans chapter 12. He said this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We can find peace and comfort in the knowledge that God will right the wrongs that we face in this world. Trusting God to do that doesn't mean that we become doormats. It doesn't mean that we lay down and let people walk all over us. It doesn't mean that we can't speak truthfully to build healthy relationships with people. It does mean that we no longer have the need to be consumed by anger. And we no longer have to be consumed with the thoughts of what others have done to us. We can let go of those hurts and trust that God will not only care for us, but he will also deal with those wrongs in his time. Instead of being destroyed by anger, we have an opportunity to grow through kindness. Evil overcomes. Evil corrupts. Good builds others up. Good develops in us and develops us, and it affects the world around us as we use it. And we have to choose the course of action that we will take. We have to choose the perspective that we will embrace. We have to choose the mindset that we'll have and the actions we're left with a very specific choice. To choose to be still in the presence of God. To choose to trust him, even in the most difficult of life's moments. The good news is that this decision isn't a blind step of faith. We're not left to wonder what does this look like. We're not left to wonder what the results will be. We're given clear instruction about how we surrender that to the Lord. What he will do for us. Philippians chapter 4. We read these words, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to, requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is a clear set of instructions for us. We begin by rejoicing in the Lord and what he's done in our lives, by living in gratitude for all the things that God has done for us, with thinking about his provision and protection, the offer of salvation, and we remember those things that he's done and how our lives have been affected by them. We lift his name up with those memories. Those memories drive us to choose to be gentle, to let our gentleness be evident to all, to care for others and set aside those things that would drive us toward aggression. Third, Paul says, we then give our anxious thoughts to God in prayer. We submit the difficulties of life. We confess our reactions to the Lord. We thank God for the opportunity to grow in trust. And when we do that, when we surrender, when we submit, we're guarded by the peace of God. We're guarded by God's peace. He creates a refuge of strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. God protects us with his peace. A peace that defies our understanding, that surpasses our imagination. So deep we can't consider the fullness of this peace. So great we can't begin to predict how much it will cover. So strong that it's able to repel the difficulty and chaos that the world throws at us. So that we can be still and know that he is God. And then we begin to address the thoughts of our mind. To take captive those things that push us away from the Lord and push them out of our minds and to embrace the things that help us grow, to become the person he's calling us to be. Instead of worry, we choose to think about the things of God. Instead of revenge, we fill our minds with pure and noble thoughts that he supplies. Instead of being stressed and anxious, we think about what is right, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And this framework structures our minds, redirecting our focus to God. It helps us see what's important. It helps us look beyond the things that once dominated our thoughts so that we can truly trust. And then, once we've aligned our thinking, we then work on our actions and we begin practicing the things that God is calling us to do through his word. We approach relationships with a trust that God will guide us to honor others. We approach the difficulty of life with trust that God will use that difficulty to build us up, to prepare us for the future, to shape us and mold us. And no matter how difficult it is, it's not too difficult. It's just difficult enough to finally open our eyes to what God needs to be doing 
in us. And we learn to submit our lives to the Lord. To begin our day submitting our lives to the Lord. choose to be still in his presence. We allow confidence in him to bring us peace as we face our day. And we do it again and again, the next day and the day after that, not waiting until we hit rock bottom, not waiting until we're at the bottom of a hole that we can't see a way out of, but choosing instead to submit our lives to God before we ever get in that negative place. Imagine what God could do if instead of waiting until life got too difficult for us to handle and we had to turn to God, that we would turn to him first and surrender ourselves to him and surrender our anxieties to him and surrender the difficulties of life to him and allow him to carry us through what heights we could reach, what mountains we could climb instead of digging out of the holes we find ourselves in, what God would do in our lives and in the world around us if we would just trust him every moment of every day what we could do, what he would do through us. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'll be honest, I don't always know what that looks like for me. But I do know that God has a very clear picture of what it looks like for each of us. Proverbs Remind us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He will make your paths straight. He will help you understand your purpose. He will direct your path to the people that you need to encounter. He will care for you in ways that you don't want to be cared for but that you need. He will guide you to the place of service that he needs you to fulfill. Trust in the Lord. I want to challenge you today to consider what that looks like for you. To begin turning to the Lord, trusting him fully before so that you can discover the life that he's calling you to live. This morning, I want to offer a time for you to make a decision about the, the, the path of your life, to surrender that to God. And whether that means you need to accept Jesus Christ, be baptized in his name, or you need to let go of control and choose to trust him with all your heart, I want to encourage you to surrender in the way he's calling you to surrender. If you have a decision to make this morning, if there's anything in your life that you need prayer for, please come forward as we stand and sing together.